0: The message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at LightSandiego.com. All right. Good morning, you guys. If you have a Bible, you can take it out right now, or a journal, or just take some notes. If you don't, you can take out your phone and use a Bible on there as well. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hands. There's a little gift bag for you as you leave. Um, It's our free gift for you. Uh, But we are going to be spending the next few minutes or so looking at Scripture and continuing a series of conversations that we've been having called Heart Renovation. The idea behind heart renovation is that God promises us through his son's death and resurrection a new heart, that he's given us a new life, a new heart. But the idea is that that, not, that heart is not static, it is not stuck, but it is dynamic, it is moving towards something, it is being formed into a, a purposeful image ultimately, which is Jesus. Jesus. That God is not only intending us to to give us new life and a new heart, but to change us and form us into that heart. Um, Kind of the, the ancient word for this is sanctification. Kind of a newer term for this is spiritual formation or discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. But it's this idea that God is working within us to form us into the image of Christ. Christ. And so we are in kind of right in the middle of this series where we're talking about really what is a core belief here at Light Church, which is that we are here to practice the way of Jesus. It is a way of life. It is a journey. It is not simply a set of things that we believe. It is something that we live out and practice. And those practices really have three different goals. And these are goals that we didn't make up. These were the goals of students or apprentices apprentices following their rabbi. And those three goals are to be with their rabbi. So our first goal is to be with Jesus. And we've already talked about that the past few months. You guys can catch up on the podcast if you've missed it. And we've just started this part two, which is we believe in the renovation process is the framing of our heart. It is when you start to see something take shape. But this is what has the strength. This is what holds up what our hearts should be. And that is becoming like Jesus. So, um, so the ancient apprentices of their rabbi would not only just follow the rabbi around, but their goal is that they would become like them. They would change who they were to become like their rabbi. They would take on that rabbi's tone of voice, how they taught, their philosophies, how they walked, where they went, their values and views. And that is our invitation from Jesus. That we would take on his priorities, his character, his values, and that those things would begin to be ours. And um, and then lastly, the summer we'll dive into becoming like or doing what Jesus did and practicing the way of Jesus in that. But as we're here this morning, and this is really kind of our opening sermon our opening teaching on what it means to become like Jesus, it kind of bears this very important question that I want you to consider, and don't answer quickly, but but think about this. Can you change? Can we change? And I'm not talking about a surface level, New Year's resolution, pick up a new habit. Can we, at our core, change change? And the second question that goes along with it is, if it's possible to change, how do we change, and what are we being changed into, if we are to become becoming like Jesus? And so that's, we're going to be diving in to this idea that we will spend the next few weeks uncovering of what does it mean for us to change? Is change possible? And But before we, before we dive into, into this idea and answering a question, can we change? How do we change? What are we being changed into? Um, I wanted to, to make something very clear. When I talk about us changing, I think there can be this misconception that, that Jesus' goal is to change you out of who you are. But what we see again and again in scripture is that God, on purpose, designed every single one of you differently and uniquely. Different gifts, different personality, different wirings, different desires, different dreams, different potential. And he's not trying to create some uniformed person that looks the same, sounds the same, has the same dreams. No, no. The idea is God is changing you into ultimately Christ's image that is uniquely expressed through you. This is important for you to understand. So God's not trying to change you into John or into Susie. He's like, well, that person looks like Jesus. I guess I have to become like them. No, what does what Jesus' life lived through you look like? What, what is you at your greatest Christ-given potential? This is who Jesus is trying to get you to be. What, what would you look like without chains? What would you look like without fear and inhibition? What would you look like without this sense of unworthiness? But if you stepped fully into who God had called you to be before you ever were that, who would you become? And that, and that is the unique thing about this series, is we can't just say, become like A, B, and C. You know, this, is, this has some work for you to do. Who has God made you to be? And how does Christ express himself in his fullness through your life? Um, and and but it goes back to the question, is it even possible? Can we change? And um, It's funny, my, my kids are always changing um, my daughter is quickly entering into adolescence. My oldest, she's she's ten going on fifteen, and um, and it's it's so funny. It's so uncharted waters for Jen and I. So this week she got her first like email address. It's just strange. And so I'm getting emails from my daughter all the time, you know, and um, don't be late for our meeting, you know. I'm just like, uh. so <laughs> she's quick. She's quickly changing my. Uh, our, our son, who's our youngest, Augustine, has has um, recently discovered Transformers, and so we've been wrestling. Um, and when we wrestle, if I like pin him or something like this, he he's I don't know where he gets this stuff from, but his new thing is he'll either say one of two things: either he'll like he'll go, oh! he calls himself Ogbot. like. <laughs> I Go, Ogbot, transform, and then he goes, and then like for he in his mind he's now stronger and more equipped to fight his dad. Um, His new one is he'll literally press his belly button, and he calls he's like super strength button, and then he goes just like, and like and then he just runs and tackles me, and so I love this my my precious three year old son. Change is is so possible for him. You can just press your belly button and it happens. Like you're just a different person, more strength, more potential, the better version of who you are. Wouldn't that be nice, right? If we had a super strength button, something that we could just be like, oh, I'm better. Because I mean we all were all here this morning with a with a some measure of like, I I wish I could be living more into my potential. I, I'm not there yet. And so this, this morning, I'm just going to cut, cut to the chase. Two main themes I want you to understand this morning. Number one, change, <laughs> this may sound elementary, change is possible, but it's not up to you. Change, according to scripture, ultimately is a work of the Holy Spirit. In the life of the, of the believer, those who follow Jesus, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit as a seal for the day of redemption, Scripture says. And this, this person, the this Spirit of God that now lives inside of you is at work. And scripture again is very clear about it. It said, hey, this is not by works. This is not your doing. You didn't just somehow wake up and be like, I'm going to be awesome today and you were just awesome. But for those who follow Jesus, this has you have to understand that our change can happen, but it happens when we submit and yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And if you walk away with anything if you can walk away with that, it would be the goal that the change you're desiring, the change that you desire within yourself and you wanna see and you wanna see lived out is not gonna come because somehow you got inspired, you read a book, or you're motivated. That happens because the Spirit of God is inside you and is pushing you gently and forming you intentionally into Christ's image. And so our question is, if that is true, if the Holy Spirit is the one who changes and forms us, what's our role in that? Do we, or do we just sit there in our beds and just say, do it, God? Just, you know, like, just sitting there, like, on the couch, like, go ahead, Lord, I'm, w- I'm ready when you are. I mean, or, or do we participate with him at what level? And what I think is amazing is that we're gonna be looking at Galatians 5 today. It doesn't only tell us that the Holy Spirit is the one working in us, but he actually tells us what he's trying to do in us, where he's trying to lead us to, which is important because it's important for us to not just be like, okay, the Holy Spirit's changing me. What is he changing you into? What is he moving you towards? And I just wanna read you one of my favorite, favorite Bible verses in all of scripture. This is Galatians 5, chapter one. I mean, this is so huge. And I I believe it's the crux of the entire letter to the church in Galatia. It says this. This is Paul writing to this, this church. One of the earliest letters he writes. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So up to this point, Paul has spent the entire letter Writing to them about two problems with this church, this young church, and here are the two problems: it's legalism, and this word called licentiousness. Licentiousness means that uh, you do whatever you want, whatever feels good. It's pleasure-seeking, and these two problems were so rampant in the church. Different problems, but both, but both actually adding. Um, chains and, and oppression and imprisonment to the souls within this church. And so Paul comes and writes this letter to address these two problems, legalism and licentiousness. And right in the middle of these two problems that he's addressing, he tells his church, do you know why Christ set you free? Do you know why Jesus went to the cross? Do you know why God sent his son is so that you could be free. It is for freedom's sake that Christ sets you free, which it sounds redundant, but it's really not. It's one thing to be set free, and it's another thing to live free. So the whole point of Jesus coming to earth wasn't to free you to be legalistic. It wasn't to free you to do whatever your senses want, every pleasure that you desire. No, no, he sets you free to understand what true freedom is. Is and this, this Greek word freedom is this word eleutheria, it's this beautiful word that one of the ancient writers describes it as a word picture, as someone standing at the edge of a great expanse, as an ocean or a field, and you're just looking at an endless possibilities. That would have been the imagery eleutheria would have drawn up in someone who would have first heard that word. Do you know why Christ set you free it's so that you can stand not locked up in your own? Legalism and self-righteousness or in your own seeking of pleasure and selfishness. No, 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 so that you could stand with endless possibility of a true freedom that your soul is desperately trying to grasp. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what He's pushing us towards. But we have to understand, we have to redefine, like the church in Galatia to redefine, how is freedom achieved? What does it mean to be free? How does the Holy Spirit achieve that freedom in our hearts? And this is, we're gonna, this is where we're going to find ourselves in, in our text this morning. And this is Galatians 5. We're going to start in verse 13. But I would encourage you, read, read, all, of, read all of Galatians with those two things. See how Paul is addressing these two prominent issues. And at this point in Scripture, Paul is leaving the issue of, of legalism, of, of what to do, do with the law and circumcision and other kind of Jewish regulations that they're wrestling with, And he's now dealing with the problem of, again, this large word, licentiousness. This idea of doing whatever you want to do. And this is what he says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. There it is again. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather... Listen, this is these are the two options. You can use your freedom to do whatever feels good, whatever you want, or you can use this freedom to serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment: love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out for you, will be destroyed by each other. So I say, so here it is: walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. So, so that we're gonna circle back to this theme. What does it mean for us to walk by the Spirit? Because apparently walking by the Spirit leads us into freedom. So how, how do we do that? And what happens when we don't do this? And you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. I want to stop right there because what Paul's going to start doing is he's going to be describing these two opposing ideas. The flesh, which is the Greek word sarks, and the spirit, which is the Greek word pneuma or the Hebrew word um, ruach. And it's this idea of breath and wind. The person of God is moving in and throughout his, his people. And opposed to that is this idea of Sarks. And it's, it's in your Bibles, it's most land. Most likely translated flesh, which is a good thing, but for us, we don't really use that word much. But I think maybe a better way for us to understand that would be it's your, it's every human's selfish human bent. It's every human's selfish bent. Um, you're born with sarks, right? You're born with this sense of like, I want that candy and I want it now that's my toy give it back to me and then it just gets and it just gets more expanded as we grow into adults that's our human nature it's always bent in on self uh, this feels good for me in the moment and so I must need it and so Paul is saying there are these two forces within every single follower of Jesus that is at war with each other. One is this spirit that is moving us towards freedom, which is expressed through love. And it's at war with our flesh, our humanity, this Sarks, that is just trying to tell us, no, 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 freedom just looks like you getting whatever you want. And he begins to describe, these are the two different opposing forces that go on with inside of ourselves. Verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Um, Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. He just lists three different kind of forms of, of sensuality or sexuality that would have been selfishly motivated. Then he moves into um, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That word and the like means is an exhaustive list. These are just some of the things that the church in Galatia would have been dealing with this in their licentiousness, in their flesh, in their selfishness. These are the things that they were turning to. And some of these things on their list look pretty similar to our culture's list. Um, and so not much has changed. The human condition is still bent in on self. And then verse um, 22 says this. Oh, sorry, verse, um, as you did. Oh, I warn you as you did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, will not live into the full potential of what God's kingdom can, can bring. It says, but, so here's the other side of it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There it is again. There's this language of walking, following, going alongside, keeping in step with the Spirit. How do we do that? And we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But first, kind of going back to this idea of these two opposing forces on this. And one of them One of them is this idea, our flesh left unattended will always try and grasp the quickest thing that satisfies our most immediate want, our most immediate desire. The Spirit pulls us up and says, what does our heart truly need? What is our our heart truly longing for? Maybe our heart isn't longing for lust. Maybe it's longing for love. Maybe our heart isn't longing for an escape. Maybe our heart is longing to be experienced and known. And it it draws these parallels. This is is cheap and easy and accessible. And these are the things that are at the core of who we are, the core of who we want. But, But notice something here. He does not say fruits... Of the Holy Spirit. I grew up looking at this as a list of like virtues I was supposed to do better at. Anyone else? Like, did you ever read that list? You probably just did it right now. When I read that, I'm like, ooh, I'm not that patient. Oh man, I could probably work on my gentleness. I could, and you kind of like pick and choose like, oh, I got an A there, C plus there. B minus D, you know, like you're kind of looking at this list, but this is actually a a poor way to read this text because it says there is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's one fruit. And most scholars believe that that fruit is the very first thing listed, which is love. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, the works of the flesh, the desires of the flesh are plentiful. We can list them all day long. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Love looks like this. Patience, kindness, joy, self-control, gentleness, and he goes on through this list, and, and as I was studying up this week, I even think I might have heard that when I was younger, but I was, I was reading these different things, and I was like, man, that, you know, it helps me in a few different ways. Number one is that God is not using the Holy Spirit as some grading scale of how I'm doing in my values and my morality. But he keeps it simple, and for me, oh man, I so appreciate that. Love, love, love. This is what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is. The second thing is, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. This isn't a fruit of your willpower, your character, a good book you read, a podcast, a sermon, a small group. No, this is the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So when you keep in step, walk with the Holy Spirit, follow the Holy Spirit, what happens to be producing in your life is not these these quick fixes, um, easy gratification kind of deals. It's it's this true, powerful, pure love that the law, there's nothing against it in the law. And this is what love looks like. And then he goes on to list these different things of love. And we don't have time today to, to dive fully into each one. But it's powerful to begin to start reading these through the lens of love. How is love, spirit-led love, how does that produce joy? How how does love look like peace and patience, kindness, a love that has goodness in it, a love that is faithful, a love that is gentle, a love that is self-controlled rather than self-fulfilling? It becomes this beautiful beautiful picture. There's a guy named Thomas He's the president of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Washington, D.C. And this is what he talks about. This is kind of an article that I came across this week. This is what he says. Practically speaking, how do we walk by the Spirit and overcome the desires of the flesh? We must allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit. The word led is a present passive verb indicating that we should continuously surrender and yield ourselves to the desires of the Spirit whose leading is always diametrically opposed to the desires of our sinful flesh, our old self. Our surrender to the Spirit's leading is an act of the will, a choice we must make. It is saying yes to the Spirit's leading and no to the desires of the flesh. And so this is, this is where we're gonna kind of get into really practical. So if change happens as a result of the Holy Spirit. This is a work of the Spirit in us. It's his fruit, not our doing. What's our participation level here? How how are we led by the Holy Spirit? What, What does that actually look like? And so just three thoughts, three thoughts that I think scriptures point to in multiple places. Is number one, for us to be led by the Spirit or to walk with the Spirit is we have to surrender. That's where we begin. And I believe this ultimately begins the moment we choose to follow Jesus when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and is alive in us. But it's not something that you can just leave to a history event. It's a, it's a posture you have to continually be in. You're in charge. Holy Spirit, lead my life. Lead my day. What are my decisions, my, my dreams? Holy Spirit, you have control. I'm surrendering to that. Number two is this idea of sensitivity. Sensitivity. So it's one thing to surrender, saying, all right, Holy Spirit, you're the boss, but I'm not going to listen to you. (laughs) Like I'm going to keep myself so busy, so much noise in my life, that although I'm submitted to you, I just can't hear your voice right now. It's sensitivity. Are you listening? Are you posturing yourself in a way that's saying, okay, not only am I surrendered, but I'm actually sensitive to what you are leading me into and, and how you're leading me. And the third thing, which is probably where it's the hardest, is this idea of steadfastness. It means that you have to continue to stay in a place of surrender and sensitivity. And there's going to be times where the flesh sounds so much better. A quick escape. Uh, this idea of like, I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to go and do this thing. God knows my heart. It'll be fine. But it's this steadfastness. Thing. No, no, no. I'm as much as, as I can, as the spirit works in my life, I want to stay submitted, I want to stay surrendered, I want to stay sensitive to what he's doing. And it's that posture of staying steadfast in that that really yields um, fruits. So let's just walk through these things really quickly. So number one is surrender. Um, I came ac- across this, this quote this week from Pope Francis that I thought was brilliant. Um, I, don't, I haven't read much of his work, but in studying, I, I, I thought this was so good when it comes to the idea of surrender. Um, he says this, to put it simply, the Holy Spirit bothers us because he moves us. He makes us walk. He pushes the church to go forward. And we, like Peter at the Transfiguration, are, ah, oh, how wonderful it is to be like this all together, but don't bother us. We want the Holy Spirit to doze off. We want to domesticate the Holy Spirit, and that's no good because he is God. He is that wind which comes and goes, and you do not know where. He is the power of God. He is the one who gives us consolation and strength to move forward, but to move forward, and this bothers us, is, to, is so much nicer to be comfortable. Oh, it bothers, it's so much nicer to be comfortable. And so I think for us to be like, yeah, surrender so the Holy Spirit, it's good it takes, I think, a little bit of a deeper look and a recognition of, like, I think especially in the time and the cultural climate we live in where everything is up to you. Any decision you want, because of technology, because of the Industrial Revolution, because of our Western mindset, we truly believe we are our own boss. We are in control. And so for us, as as. 2019, Westerners in Southern California to come to a place of actual surrender to the Holy Spirit, let's be honest, is sometimes uncomfortable. But it may feel uncomfortable moments, but when we actually realize who we're surrendering to, this is what I want us to grasp today it is liberating. It's liberating. I mean, there's such an anti-authoritarian mindset right now that we forget that, so we kind of just think, well, I don't want to be controlled by anyone or anything because all authority's bad. But I, can I just, I think it was earlier on in the phrase, can I just tell you the, the seven, there might be more, seven roles the Holy Spirit plays? This is what the Holy Spirit's described in doing. And, and let this form your sense of like, I want to surrender to that. This is who the Holy Spirit is that scripture points to him to being. Just seven things really quick. The Holy Spirit is our regenerator, He's what brings us to life. Not death. He brings us to life. He regenerates us. Number two, the Holy Spirit is who empowers us. He gives us strength beyond our own, gifts beyond our own. He is the one who comes alongside and empowers us to be something we just simply could not be on our own. Number three, the Holy Spirit is our guide. Isn't it, isn't it funny how advanced we've become intellectually and technologically, and yet how lost we feel? Now we need, we need a guide, a good one, who knows the future and the past and knows our hearts. Uh, number, number five, number, sorry, number four, the Holy Spirit is our uniter. He brings us together as people and us together with God. Number, um, number five, he's, the Holy Spirit is our intercessor. This person we're submitting to, literally his job is to pray for you. How awesome. That's his job. He's your advocate, he's your intercessor. He's the one who's going and pleading for you to experience the life that we were all desperately longing for. I love this one. Maybe this is something specific for someone in the room. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. I don't know about you, but it's knowing that and meditating on the fact that the Holy Spirit is our comforter makes me just want to surrender to him all the more because I want comfort so bad that the world fails to give. I love what Jen was talking about last week when she taught of just how there is, there is a comfort that the world tries to give and it cannot give. But the Holy Spirit can. He's the comforter. And then the last thing is the Holy Spirit is our refiner. He's the one who comes and sees the things in our lives that are restricting us and chaining us up. And so let's be very clear. Surrender to the Holy Spirit leads to freedom. Freedom cannot be accomplished without a surrender to this amazing person of God. Let's talk about this idea of sensitivity. Um... Yesterday morning, I woke up on a sailboat in San Francisco. Kind of fun thing, fun sentence to say. Um, I, I flew up there Friday morning, got back Saturday morning. Some of my friends from Bible college who are pastors, um, one of the guys, him and his brother own a sailboat in the San Francisco Bay. And every year they go on this trip. It's the first time I've been able to go. And so there's four of us on this 30-foot boat in the San Francisco Bay, it's freezing and windy and choppy, Um, sun's kind of shining through, which was a, a bonus, and we get on the boat, and I grew up sailing, my dad's a pretty proficient sailor, I'm not, but I grew up around it, and I very quickly realized these guys have no idea what they're doing, like, and so... We're out in San Francisco Bay, and I'm watching them, and am like, I mean, great hearts, right? They're just trying everything they can, and, and they're, like, um, trying to pull out the, the main sail and they're like, okay, should we take out the jib right now? And I'm just watching. I'm like, this is hysterical. Like, you guys have no idea what's going on. And I didn't know any better. I just knew that what they were doing was wrong. Like, I just had enough exposure to sailing to be like, this is not how my dad does it. Um... <laughs> And I'm watching this thing happen, and like, then they're trying, and they're trying to get the things like that, and, and about two hours into it, we kind of get it. We kind of have figured out how to get the sails to, to collect enough wind for the wind to come across it, for the jib to be out just enough, that we actually started going faster than our little dinky motor could push us. And, and as this is happening... I'm thinking about this idea of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, by the way, in Hebrew and Greek, is the same word for wind, the same word for breath. There is not a sec. So for us, if you would have heard holy breath, holy wind, holy spirit, those would have all been the same word in their language, in both languages. And so the idea of a breath, a wind, I'm sitting there and I'm watching these sails try to be pulled in such a way. Now, the wind was blowing at 19... Um, 20 miles an hour the entire time and our speed was completely contingent on the direction of the sails and I was thinking like what a great picture for what it means to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and how many of us look like me and my friends who just were just amateurs right aren't we We're just trying to position our life, well, maybe if I do this, maybe if I pull like this, and I I think that God, with a glad heart, watches us try and position ourselves and say, okay, Holy Spirit, I want you to move in my life. I want to hear your voice. I want you to lead me. I want to receive your comfort, your conviction. I, I want to be moved by you. I don't know how. But I think the invitation in following Jesus is to continue to press, to continue to model our life like Jesus. And as we adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, we can begin to expect the life of Jesus. And as we watch Jesus submit to his Father, it's a model for us to submit to the Holy Spirit. As we watch Jesus yield to the will of his heavenly father, we can submit to the will of the Holy Spirit. And what I've seen is over our life with the gracious patience of our heavenly father, he watches us position our life to say, I want to be sensitive and led by the Holy Spirit. And I think that if that can be a picture in our mind this week is to say, Lord, I want to position my life to catch what your Holy Spirit's doing. I want to know where you're going, where you're leading, what you're speaking. Because I know ultimately it's leading me to freedom. I know that's the only way I change. It's the only way I, I bear the fruit of love rather than the fruit of my own selfishness and flesh. Because I need to know what your Holy Spirit's doing in me. And the last thing I want to point out is that, that, in, that in that place, if, they w- if, I have not, if I would not have watched my friends work steadfastly, continue to work on it we would have never have gotten it we would have given up too soon there's a sense of steadfastness that we have to have to say I'm not going to give up trying to continue to hear and listen and yield and be sensitive to Holy Spirit I'm going to stay steadfast in that so last story and then we're going to pray Matt you can come up here if you're around um, is uh, a couple weeks ago as we were, I was getting ready for this part of the series um I had a meeting that was canceled. Uh, normally, it's time for me to catch up on emails and admin work, and, and it's rare that I'm like, oh, what am I gonna do? I, I don't remember what bored feels like. <clears throat> but in this particular moment, I really felt the Lord said, hey, just come spend some time with me. So, um, packed up my computer, my laptop. I went down to the to Pipes Beach and started taking a walk, and I just started talking with God having a conversation, and in my conversation, I realized that I was, um, I was severely confused. There's so much going on in my life that I needed direction for. There's so much in my life that felt frustrating. There's a lot in my life that felt really heavy, and I wasn't almost even aware of it. I'm taking this prayer walk on the beach, and I'm talking with the Lord. Probably, people are probably looking at me like, oh my, what's wrong with that guy? But it was this moment and I was so, there was so much kind of clutter in my mind. It was even hard for me to really sense the, the presence of God in the moment but I was doing what I felt like He was asking me to do and praying and I'm talking and I go and I sit on this rock and I just, and I come to that moment where I just realized my like God, I'm, I feel very lost. I don't know what to do. I feel like I don't have the ability or the strength to accomplish what's before me and in that moment, All I heard was this verse, walk by the Spirit. And in in that moment, it was was as if I became keenly aware that the Holy Spirit was like right next to me. And this walk that I was thinking I was doing on my own, talking like, you know, walkie-talkie up to heaven or something like that, I realized like the Holy Spirit is right next to me. And I went there looking for answers, But what the Holy Spirit offered me was a relationship. It was like, walk with me. When you come to that problem, let's walk through that together. That thing that's bothering you, let's let's walk through that together, that heaviness. Let me give you strength. It was this invitation to do what Galatians 5 says four different times. Walk with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. And so this morning, the the very simple, and I think probably the core application here is how, how do we begin to become like Jesus? Just walk in the Spirit. And you may feel like an amateur. You may don't know what that looks like. Be steadfast. Keep continuing to position your life as a sail to catch what God is trying to lead and speak into your life and know that there's grace and mercy and abundance as you do it. But I think so often we approach mornings like this, we approach our time with God saying like, God, I need all the answers, all the strength. And sometimes he gives, it, but most of the time he just says, hey, why don't you walk with me? Just walk with me. We're gonna figure that out. We're gonna cross that bridge when we get to it. I'm gonna give you my joy. I'm gonna give you my strength and it's hard for me to even be up here and describe the comfort that I left. I had no solutions. My to-do list probably got bigger as I was out there. But I came back to this very simple invitation that I believe was the same invitation given 2,000 years ago under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Paul to this church. Walk with the Spirit. Don't fall into legalism and self-righteousness. Don't fall into licentiousness and selfishness and your sin nature. No, no, no. There's a spirit leading you to freedom. Follow him. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Holy Spirit, we, we invite you in right now. Lord, so much of my life, I felt like trying to sail a boat. I felt ill-equipped to I feel, I know there's potential there. I know you're speaking. I know you're present. But what I'm asking this morning, Lord, is for every person in this room, would you help us know how to walk with you, how to keep in step with you, to be sensitive to your voice and your leading? Lord, I pray that you would let us begin this morning with surrender once again. So here we are, Holy Spirit, we surrender our lives to you. We are not the boss or the controller of our own lives because we have messed it up. We need you, our comforter, our guide, our regenerator, Lord, we need you. Would you come again? We surrender to you. Would you lead us? Whatever mountain we're facing, whatever questions we're struggling through, whatever brokenness we're carrying, give us your strength your comfort, and your direction, Lord. Help us become like Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com.